0: Hey everyone, it's Jim, and on this week's episode of Piloting Church, we're bringing you a conversation that we had with two of our friends, Shane Claiborne and Mike Martin. We're going to talk about what does it mean to end gun violence, reduce gun violence, stop all the mass shootings that seem to keep popping up, and what toll does gun violence have on our soul, our spirituality, of ourselves, of our communities, of our world. Now Shane and Mike will tell you a bit more about themselves, chances are you might know who they are. Shane started the simple way, wrote a bunch of great books, hung out with Mother Teresa. Mike started an organization called Raw Tools where they literally beat guns into garden tools. Two of them wrote a book together called Beating Guns. Uh, You get it? Double meaning? So this conversation is really fantastic, powerful, and uh, that that wind must be the Holy Spirit saying enjoy. Alright, here it is.
1: Hey, Shane. Hey, Mike. Hey, Jim. Good to see you, man. You as well.
0: Mike, it's been a long time. Yeah, it has. Everybody who is joining us, thank you. I am Reverend Jim Keat, the Director of Online Learning for the Center for Progressive Renewal and Convergence. And these two fantastic troublemakers, Mike Martin and Shane Claiborne, uh, I am so glad to have you both on the Internet with us today to chat about uh, this conversation in the wake of our ongoing uh climate in our country uh and you two as you know leaders and activists in the area of gun violence and peacemaking uh and and just people who help pave a a hopeful way forward for the church we're, we're gonna just chat so uh let me just say maybe two sentences about each of you from what i know and then maybe you can fill in the gaps shane uh writes books talks about jesus and peace I think Irresistible Revolution was the first one of yours I read. That was like decades ago, probably, but good time. <laughs> and then you, you convinced me to vote for Jesus for president ever since you wrote that book. Uh, and, and you you founded the Simple Way. And, and uh, did you create Red Letter Christians, the organization, or is that just your current gig?
1: I would like to think that the Lord had a hand oh, in it. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah King uh, James.
0: Green, the red letters, and I don't know, did that yeah,
1: no, you know what? Actually, we found that this goes all the way back to Ignatius, actually, who like what? first highlighted who knew, right? Like, uh, <laughs> highlighted the words of Jesus in red. So, this is hundreds of years old, but uh, honestly, for us, it started with a country music DJ down here in Tennessee that was interviewing uh, a friend of ours, Jim Wallace. Was and, and he said, yep. You know, this guy, you know, who didn't have too much to do with Christianity, but he said, I've read the Bible. There's parts of it that I just love, and there's parts of it that I honestly find a little confusing. And he said, but I've always liked the stuff in red. And then he said, uh, <laughs> you guys seem to like the stuff in red. You should call yourselves Red Letter Christians." So it stuck.
0: Yeah. That's amazing. Hey, that that's a fan, fun little uh, trivia most people probably don't know. So take that one next time, you know, you're playing like Wild Goose Beer Pong or something. Uh, so Shane does all sorts of things. There's probably a thousand things more. You've traveled, you know, the world. I, I've read the stories of you and Mother Teresa, and you know, being on watch lists for causing too much good peace in the world, and people get suspicious of that apparently. And then Mike, you literally turn guns into farming tools, into plowshare plows. Uh, which is incredible. You you started a uh, an organization called Raw Tools, and the two of you, by the way, have written a book together, hint, hint, if you need something to buy, viewers. Uh, but Mike, say Say a bit about Raw Tools and all this work that you're doing in peacemaking in the world.
2: Yeah, so we started Raw Tools two months after the Sandy Hook school shooting. Um, it's something that was kind of in the idea stages for years before that, but we had to figure out how to actually turn guns into garden tools. And as we say in our book, other lovely things. Um, And so we learned how to blacksmith so we could do it. So it's been this great kind of partnership of a a pastoral role and a hands-on role, Um, but a lot of it is uh, trauma-informed, victim-based work where uh, we go into communities and we invite people to share their stories who've been affected by gun violence. We invite them to participate in making a tool uh, with us. And then, uh, of course, we also sell those tools to help support Um, other things we do like nonviolence training and conflict mediation skills mental health first aid so we're really coming at it from a a comprehensive perspective not just straight up give us all your guns
0: (laughs) well i i think the approach is fantastic and the end result is beautiful and just what it invites us it invites us like to, to take the bible it calls for no words and why should we stop doing that just because we don't use swords nearly as much we still got things that hurt people let's turn them into something beautiful so so that's kind of where this conversation is going to pick up guns uh and you know i reached out to the two of you last week in the wake of you know a a weekend where we both woke up two days in a row seeing horrific headlines of mass shootings here in america uh and I, i would just love to hear from both of you and i'm sure everyone would as well what's what's your first response when you hear of another mass shooting in america what what goes through your mind when you open your phone when you see the headline when you see someone post something about another whatever what what, go, what what's your first response shane let's start with you
1: yeah sure my i mean my first response is it does not have to be this way and we should never allow this to be normal uh, after Sandy Hook, when Raw Tools was starting, uh, when when so many children, you know, w- lives were cut short, um, our nation rose up and said never again. Yeah. Um, and yet we've allowed it to happen again and again. There's been almost 2000 mass wow. shootings since Sandy Hook. Um, and and so, you know, we, we began our book by um, saying, we need more than thoughts and prayers. We are people who believe deeply in prayer, um, but we also believe if we're in action. And if we're going to um, honor the lives of all of those children and, and all of the folks since then um, that have suffered from uh, um, gun violence, then, then we've got to see some concrete action. And yeah. the great thing about raw tools is you can see it go from a gun to a plow, <laughs> Uh, you know in an hour, but it's yep. also, I think it also invites us to go, hey, if we can do this in an hour, like what can we do as a country? You know, and we need we need some concrete action um yeah. as well. So w- one other thought is in the book, we have a template um almost to show um that the, the 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 like sickness of our country um and and it's a it's a template for um media after a mass shooting and it's a fill in the blank, you know that Uh, This time it's in this town and the shooter was, you know, and it's just like a fill in the blank thing, but it shows like how um, sad it is that mass shootings have become almost an everyday occurrence.
0: Yeah. Yeah, really almost an everyday occurrence. If you average it out, we've had averaged over one per day in this year alone, which is a horrific reality.
1: And sometimes we focus on the mass shootings, but the fact is that they only account for a small amount of the lives lost to guns. and yeah. and you know every day we're losing over a hundred lives uh, to guns and it and it literally does not have to be that way. we We won't save every life, but we can do better than a hundred a day.
0: It does not have to be that way. that's that's so true. Mike, what about you? What's kind of the first thought when you hear the news like we did this past weekend or whenever that kind of comes across the headlines?
2: yeah uh this past weekend i was actually gathering with uh i'm a part of the mennonite church and our regional mennonite um annual gathering was happening at that time and so um and then the national conference asked me to write a response to speak for the for mennonite church usa and all of that was happening and uh it was mainly in response to el paso and then as we're writing the statement dayton happens Um, and then i also find out that someone here was shot by police eight blocks from the raw tool shop Um, and he's he's a young 19 year old person of color and so there's a whole lot happening in colorado Springs. so just continually just all these deep exhales um i think it's it's we're the same we can say all the same things and we tend to afterwards but i think um i keep seeing it through that these mass shootings get the attention but um if 110 people die per day to gun violence Three to five of them are mass shootings, and we're we're not talking about all of the other suicide, oh. domestic violence, gang violence, um, accidents, kids finding them. Ten of these, ten kids a day, under the age of 18, die from gun violence. So um, we talk about mass shootings a lot, but we need to be talking about a lot of the other uh, tragedies that are happening in with gun violence, and um, that's this we learned. Uh, how we were going to do the work of raw tools through the story of a mother who lost her three-year-old to a random drive-by shooting, and wow. um, twenty years later was the first first mother or first person in Colorado to go through a high-risk victim-offender dialogue, and she sat down with the person who shot her son, um, and it's her story is beautiful. We talk about it in our book, um, but now she advocates for his opportunity for parole because he was sixteen mm. when this happened when he killed her her son who was three. So. There's beautiful stories. There are. There is a way out of this, but every time we hear that it's happening and it's happening again, um, I think I think we exhale and we just have this deep sigh that it's happening again, as well as we aren't doing anything. Like, yeah, I think there's yeah. there's trauma on both the ends of that. That this keep hap- this keep keeps happening. There's trauma there, and that we aren't doing anything. And I think that's also building trauma as well.
0: Well, what can we do? Say say a bit about that maybe specifically people of faith, communities of faith, how can we help reduce or end um, deaths due to guns here in America, whether it's gun violence, or like you're saying, there's other causes, other ways that guns lead to deaths as well, whether it's accidental or suicide. This isn't a problem that needs to be addressed
2: in in all of its forms. What, where do we begin? Um, Well, I just actually just left a meeting that is, like we call this group is called a firearm safety think tank. Um, It's based here in Colorado Springs and we, they put all the data on the table and say, who are the people that are, that we are losing to gun violence. And such a huge swath of that is suicide. And that's 67%. So I think the biggest, uh, I don't think we're engaging people enough on either side of this issue. So it's actually gun owners who have access to a gun, Um, That are taking their own life is the largest number of people losing we are losing to gun violence and violence And when we talk about that, that means that we aren't engaging with each other um, very well across across these um, maybe political divides that we're creating that um, We're so focused on it's a gun problem or it's a heart problem or systems problem that we really need to be Talking to each other that all of us can be accountable to reducing violence gun violence So if you think it's a heart problem what are the things in your community that you can do to help with that so if there's mental health first aid classes how can we be better aware of the signs and signals of people who might endanger themselves or them around them so um, if suicide ideation has happened already what can we what are the practical steps that we can take and um, sometimes removing a firearm from the home will buy you more time, but that doesn't solve the problem. So it's yeah. um, a little bit of both. And I think we need to be talking more across the aisle to, to recognize the humanity in each other and, and know that that humanity um, is worth saving, uh, no matter what our political stance on this issue is, yeah. and how can we do that, and take those practical steps to do that. That's
0: That's such a helpful perspective, I think, for so many people just because it is easy to kind of get caught up in the breaking news headlines of mass shootings as the problem we need to solve. And it's like, yeah, we need to solve that. But there's also this other gigantic thing that guns are causing harm due to other uses as well. Uh, And it's one that in some ways seems less politicized uh, to say, do we want to reduce the amount of lives taken due to guns? I'm pretty sure every human being would say yes to that. That doesn't have to do with any second amendment issues right there. That's just called do we value human life? I mean, come on, let's get all the pro-lifers on board with that one, right? So Mm -hmm. we, Shane, we're picking up on like, what kinds of things can people of faith or communities of faith do to help make an impact to reduce gun violence or deaths due to guns? So I'd I'd love to hear hear you jump in and pick some thoughts up there. How do we, what's our first step or 10th step or next step that someone can do in this kind of work forward?
1: Yeah, well, you know, I, I think sometimes we do get bogged down in uh, the, the kind of polarized uh, debate on this. And, and I, I think the, the beginning of this for us is to, to, to honor the pain of so many folks. Almost half of Americans uh, know someone that's directly been impacted by gun violence, like personally. So either taking their own life or they've been shot. Um, and, and so it's, it's affecting almost half of our population. And, and we, when we think about what it means to be pro-life, um, I, I think you're exactly right. We need to see that gun violence is one of those things that's cutting life short for so many people. Um, and, and then I think we can really see as we begin to see that this really is a public health crisis. Uh, what are some of the things that we can do? So, you, I mean, you think about cars and the lessons that we've learned about how to keep people safe, right? So we've, we've um, added seat belts, we require driver's licenses, we've um, you've got to register your car, you know, and 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 they have emissions test. You have to pass a driver's test. You know, these are just really good things. And as the, the technology has um, advanced, cars mm-hmm. go faster. Um, we have uh a, a, you know different techn- like airbags we you know end up going okay now that we have cell phones how how does that you know new require us to rethink our some of our laws like so i mean cars aren't even designed to kill but they can yeah. and we've worked, we've, we worked really hard to try to protect life and so with technology that is designed to kill, and in fact, in some cases like AR-15s, the weapon of choice of mass shooters, they're designed to kill as many people as possible, as quickly as possible. But the gun industry has um, uh, uh, like, given this kind of unprecedented um, uh, uh, ability to exploit that um, because they have no accountability. Um, you, you can't sue a gun company. Um, uh, you can't sue a gun dealer that sells to someone who's drunk or mentally ill or whatever, you know. So like, uh, it, you know, the wild thing that we talk about in the book is um, toy guns have more regulations than real guns. <laughs> So if you shot me, Jim, with a a Nerf gun and it put my eye out, I could sue Nerf. They're liable. Yeah. Uh, but, but but somehow you can't do that with a real gun. Um. And and so I think that's this is all you know, kind of shifting and changing. I think in our society when we're when we're doing the hard work of looking at history and how did the gun industry get um this kind of immunity uh, from any responsibility? You know. So um. Yeah, so I, I there's but you know it's not just laws and that's one thing that Mike and I feel strongly we do think that we need some new policies like if you're on a no fly list you should be on a no gun list you know uh, uh why does anybody need a silencer you know should there be a, yeah. a limit on the capacity you know to 10 rounds without reloading you know all of that would do some good to save lives um but but in the end it's also about god healing our violent hearts it's it, you know folks that talk about video games and all that i mean i think all of this like contributes to a culture of violence um but the guns are a unique uh, issue that i think also requires policy changes but then we talk about technology you know um it's very clear as we were researching for our book that we could have smart technology for guns just like we have for cell phones that operate mm-hmm. off of a fingerprint so Guns that are that are stolen would be harder to use. A gun that's found in the house by a kid would be harder to use. Someone that finds a gun in their home and wants to take their own life, um, it would just create one more, um, yeah. uh, uh, you know, layer of, of safety that would probably save a lot of lives. So we need to think in all those terms, you know. Uh, as we think about saving lives. And I think that's the right framework is, is how can we do a better job at protecting um, life on this, uh, this life issue.
0: That, I love the way you, you offer all these different kinds of ways to approach gun safety or making guns less lethal in that regard. Uh, well, let they're less lethal, that's kind of an oxymoron. Less accessible to uh, accidental or unnecessarily lethality, but simply the way that guns need seatbelts, the ways that all this other things have had technology advanced for the purpose of safety and these firearms have not. I mean, the fact that the two of you could not get into my cell phone, but only I could because of the security methods in this technology, it, it's more than just get rid of the guns. There's what well, we could be creative in how we approach safety measures around these objects to make them less. Um, prone to these sorts of mass shootings or self-inflicted shootings that that's really, really helpful to kind of think of in that way. I think too often it becomes this kind of like ban them all or do this thing. And it just creates a divisive conversation where nothing actually gets done. But what you're offering is, well, let's think about some creative solutions to solve this so that we don't live in those binaries, but we live in reality and actually make a positive impact on the next five months, five years, five generations.
1: Yeah, and for, and for those that, that really uh, look to, this, to, to the uh, Second Amendment, um, I think it's, it's, it's actually a really important conversation. For those of us that are Christians, I think we have a higher law than the Second Amendment. But nonetheless, like we can engage on that level and say what, what's interesting is when the, the Second Amendment was written, guns shot like one round a minute. Uh, yep. Now they, shoot, they can shoot over 100 rounds a minute, as we're seeing in these shootings. And they put well-regulated in the Second Amendment explicitly. <laughs> uh, James Madison, um, uh, who uh, was one of the authors of the Second Amendment, he said that li- liberty can be endangered by the abuse of power, but liberty can also be endangered by the abuse of liberty. So he's saying, you know, one person's unregulated right to own guns can encroach on another person's right to live. And they were very clear about that. In fact, I think they would be absolutely appalled um, at at what our our country has become. You know, so um, as we think about the Second Amendment and the well-regulated part, that's where we think about, you know, one of the laws that I think makes a lot of sense is called often called one handgun a month. That would limit, it's not taking away the Second Amendment. It's not even taking away handguns. It's saying that one person um, should only be able to purchase 12 handguns in a year, one <laughs> a month. Uh, and the wild thing is that there is a small minority. Of gun, uh, I like to say gun and th- uh, gun extremists, because they're more than just gun owners. But there's a small group that doesn't even want to see laws uh, like that. That would, you know, say uh, twelve handguns a month per person per year is enough. You know, and that's well, why we have folks see. like in 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 Colorado. Uh, there's a guy that's got four thousand guns, right? <laughs> so, yeah. Oh, yeah.
0: We could just uh, make everyone only have access to the same guns they had when they wrote the Second Amendment. Like yeah, all know. you can have is a musket.
2: Good luck. We actually, we actually had two of those turned in on our on our book tour. Really? Yeah, and they had been used to uh, to kill somebody. with uh, this the guy stored shared his story that um, it was tragic. Like the second the immediate response is people don't feel like this is significant. It didn't even even to myself when I saw it, I was like, Well, this isn't used and then he shared his story. He was like, Well uh, I I mean that's they're, they've been designed to kill from the start, so there is a function um, that these that that guns serve. And we can make them less lethal. I think that's an okay thing to say. Rubber bullets cause less damage than lead bullets, and you know I think as people of faith, we need to engineer alternative responses to conflict in the same way that the systems of this world engineer violent responses to conflict. Ooh. And that is the opportunity that this that our church and faith communities have.
0: Now that's like five sermons in one sentence right there. I like that one. Yeah. <laughs> this is,
2: this is a, it, it's all, it's this is what Brueggemann was talking about when he talks about a prophetic imagination that the church needs to lead with that in our in our witness to the world.
0: yeah, too often we just have a prophetic critique. We just call right. people out for what they're doing wrong and we offer no creative solution for how we can actually make a better world I'm with yeah.
2: You. gun, gun um, manuf- yeah uh, gunman if we're going to talk about Dayton, The gun used in that was specifically engineered as a short barrel AR 15. It's not a modification of an AR 15. It's a specific design by a gun manufacturer to be like an AR 15 that you can carry like a pistol, even though it can function exactly the same. And so there are ways to engineer around policy. Um, Those type of guns have been around since the 70s. They're just becoming more popularized the more times they are being used
0: that, and that's an example of creativity going wrong. Like, why, why are we using our creativity to do that? No, no. Yes. There's so many. Use that energy and put it to solve the problems, not cause the problems.
1: Yeah, and I, I think I'm right on that. That shooting in Ohio was 39 seconds, right? Less right. than a minute, 20 people were shot, right? So, Yeah. <sighs> just just so, unimaginable so with with
0: stats like that one alone with the ways that we keep seeing mass shootings in the headlines the ways that gun violence is prevalent even when it's not in the headlines uh, talk a bit about just the the impact that this epidemic of gun violence has on a person's soul how, how, how does it affect just individual humanity and in our soul and how we exist what, give give us
2: go pastor on us give us give us something there
1: you want to start um, yeah go ahead
2: i we just did an event with at, at wild goose with and reverend risher shared her story um about she knew four people that were killed in the emmanuel ame church shooting and one of them was her mom two cousins and a friend and um i think that uh after after she shared her story when she came over and pounded on the gun um Afterwards, she told us that it was the first time in four years that she was had a healthy way to deal with the anger of that day. And I think we we as a society lack a way to process trauma in a healthy way Not just in our own private but also publicly that the public does not understand The trauma that people and survivors and victims of gun violence go through So I think it's this strange that is my, my, a cat. Sorry about that. It, it sounds like a kid, but that is a cat. I've never heard her do that. I'm sorry. <laughs> Come here. Um, so I think that realizing the trauma that we go through here, we just don't have the, the rituals, the practices to publicly lament together and to stay with uh, folks because the news cycle drops these people. Yep after the next one right they're going they're chasing stories they're not they're not really interested in helping these people heal and that's what we as our neighborhoods and our communities have to do to help help do this um we have to get vulnerable with each other
1: yeah mike and i and uh uh traveled around the country you know 37 cities and did a gun transformation pretty much every single night back to back and um, that we, so we saw this firsthand, you know, the the power, but also the, I mean, it, it's more than symbolic, you know, it's more than just the metal transforming, but it is really hearts that are healing and communities that are being reimagined, you know, that this doesn't need to stay this way. And that, that invitation of beating swords into plows is, is really an invitation to reimagine, you know, the world. Um, and, and so one pastor said really well, she said, every night you're given a Good Friday sermon and an Easter sermon all in one. And, yeah. you know, that may not mean everything, something to everybody listening, but the, but the idea that our faith is connected to death and life, to um, a victim of violence on the cross that absorbs the violence of the world and transcends that love Um that that the promise of our faith is that life is more powerful than death. So we're kind of reminding ourselves of that. And when we do the hammering, um, it really is kind of a a sacramental ritual. And the sacrament kind of, you know, we often talk about that as like the Lord's Supper, but it's really, there's something very holy that happens. Uh, One man, he beat on the gun 18 times Mm -hmm. and counted and later said that was for uh the an 18 year old whose life he cut short as a young person so we've seen folks that their friends have taken their lives in suicide i mean everything you you know um you can imagine as we bring that to the forge um mike often talks about the the fire in the forge is sort of like the spirit and it Mm -hmm. begins to really uh, to really um warm our hearts so that they can be reshaped just like the metal that we're doing. Um, and we, we, we've really seen that all over the country kind of, kind of goes deeper than the stale rhetoric of the debates too, and goes right to the heart of it. It's hard to argue with the power of moms and dads that have lost their kids, you know, transforming an AR 15 or someone that was shot four times by an AK 47 in Kansas that survived and also talked about how he, uh, he ate for the shooter who was very troubled and ended up losing his life as well. So there's a lot that happens, you know, as we transform the metal.
0: That, that is so powerful. And just, I mean, the work that Mike you began doing with Raw Tools and Shane, you've been doing in many different ways and now in conjunction with Raw Tools to give people a, a physical ritual to process this trauma and this grief like the fact that they can actually hammer it or be there hearing it, seeing it be hammered. That's so much more than just another talking point for the ongoing rhetoric or uh, it, it, it impacts a person's soul. So I think we need more of what the two of you are doing and we need more creative and well-rounded rituals to invite us to process deep traumas and grief of this nature. Because like you said, otherwise the news cycle just is like, cool, where's the next big story we're gonna chase? And meanwhile, human beings are still left reeling with the grief and the trauma. Uh, and why yeah. it's why two of you are so commendable in this, because you don't just beat guns into gardening tools when there's a mass shooting and it's in the headlines. You do this all the time. This is just the work you do, period, whether or not it's trending, whether or not it just hit the news cycle. This is necessary ongoing grieving pastoral work for the sake of the activism, but also for the sake of caring for people's souls. I, I love the way it holds that. It's like a little church every time. That's, that's beautiful.
1: Some of the really powerful ones we've done, too, have made the connection that these are intersectional issues, like our violence um, uh, in our world. Like we did one with Tamir Rice's family in Cleveland. So in that case, we're really in the forefront of our minds is this A Young boy who was killed by police as he had a toy gun, you know when like within under a minute, you know And so we think of um, In one another city we had tons of police officers that came and supported us reminding us that you know guns are the number one uh, Thing that takes the life of police officers in the line of duty Um, But a couple of them that one of them that really struck me was when um, we did one right by the Supreme Court with the brother Uh, Randy Gardner of the last person killed by firing squad in the United States and this was in 2011 his brother was killed executed by the state of Utah by the firing squad and so he um, uh, I mean it was unbelievable wasn't it Mike he brought his brother's ashes and he sprinkled them on the steps of the Supreme Court but then we took a gun that was uh, a rep. It was just like the gun that killed his brother, and we transformed it into a plow. And in that event, we were making the connection of executions and state-sanctioned killing. You know, and so the idea that violence is the problem, not the solution. Um, my first gun transformation was on the 10th anniversary of September 11th. So mm. in that case, we took an AK-47 and we tr- made it into garden tools, but we were also thinking about the war in Iraq and Afghanistan and the response of violence to the violence that we it, it, you know, experienced on 9-11 and just the perpetuation of that. So yeah, I think there's there's a way that we really need to see gun violence as a symptom and a manifestation of a whole culture of violence. And of course, Jesus kind of is speaking so consistently um uh for life in in every single instance um so yeah it's, it's been powerful to see the interconnections you know
0: jesus seemed to be definitely on the side of peace and life and somewhat if not completely against violence i think we can say say that one pretty safely it's in the red letters mm-hmm.
1: yeah yeah, it is. I mean, in the early church, was so consistent. Uh, there's a great book uh, that uh, our friend Ron Sider wrote, "The Early Church on Killing," and he shows how consistently they spoke against violence in every uh, manifestation it had in their society. So the the early Christians spoke, uh, uh, you know, poignantly about abortion, uh, about uh, state execution about military service and, and uh, war, and so, you know, and also about the gladiatorial games and everything in their society that was violent. They were, yep. they were a force for life and for love. Um, one of them, um, Cyprian, he said, an individual, when an individual kills another individual, we call it evil but mm. somehow we sanctify it when the, the state does it in mass. Mm. So he says it is wrong to kill, no matter whether we do it, yep. uh, uh, as a governor or as a soldier or as a civilian and citizen, like we need to speak consistently against yeah. life, against death. And that's the irony I think in our country is that uh, evangelical Christians in particular have so narrowly defined pro-life as one issue, you know, on mm. abortion. That we'd be better off more accurate saying you know we're anti-abortion or we're pro-birth but to be pro-life really should encompass so many more of these issues Um, uh, and for for me to be pro-life means uh, black lives matter and immigrant lives matter. The environment matters. Uh, uh, so, so, you know, to, you, when, when we look at gun violence in our country, Christians own guns at a higher rate than the general population. <laughs> and that's one of the things that blew our mind. And one of the things that we really saw that this is a political crisis, but it's also a spiritual crisis. And we need to do some good theology in the church uh, to teach the nonviolence of Jesus.
2: Yeah. Shane,
1: Mike, Mike,
0: go ahead. I don't want to cut you off. You you got another sermon coming. I can feel it.
2: No, I just, I just want to piggyback on and say that when not only does Jesus give this um, nonviolence ethic, but also that Paul tells us about the principalities and powers and that um, there's a heart problem with us individually, but there's a heart problem with the systems as well. And it's not just if we all individually fix it, we have to fix the practices of our systems um, as well. So, um, just just a quick add-on there that there's there's a heart problem, but it's more than just within our own soul.
0: We gotta we gotta read some Walter Wink along with our Walter Green. Yeah. yeah, all the Walters. That's how it comes down to. Uh, Shane, Mike, I I feel like this is a conversation that you know hopefully our our. People of faith and communities of faith continue to have and act on going forward. We could, I'm sure, keep going on and on and on. uh, But the two of you literally wrote a book on this. So that's definitely a resource I would recommend people towards. It's called Beating Guns, Hope for People Who Are Weary of Violence. I'm pretty sure everyone qualifies in that subtitle. Uh, If not, go see a therapist and then you'll realize that you also qualify. We are weary of violence, whether you're in denial or not that uh, everyone should pick up a copy of this book it is a great resource for individuals if churches are looking for small group ideas for conversations around this i think that is a fantastic place to start so uh thank you for creating that work that resource from all of your experiences and research that is such a gift um and then if you want to see some images or videos of these gun transformations that they've talked about rawtools.org r-a-w-t-o-o-l-s org is the website and you can find photos and videos. It is an incredibly powerful experience, even just seeing the photos and images uh, and videos. But even better, just shoot Mike a line and get him to come to your church and do a whole gun transformation there. That will transform a group of people radically around this issue. Uh, it is so powerful. So once again, thank you so much for this time talking together about this. Um, Oh, quick. Lois is asking in the chat the book. Lois, the book is called Beating Guns, Hope for People Who Are Weary of Violence. If you just search in Beating Guns in Amazon or whatever more ethical place you buy your books from, I'm sure you can find it there. Uh, And- Oh, go ahead,
1: Shane. Yeah, uh, and I was just going to say, there's also a really powerful film that our friend Rex yeah. Harson made called "Beating Guns," and it's a great kind of conversation uh, starter and something to continue, you know, with. Uh, so that's a good accompanying film. Um, Mike also did a great resource to help create conversations um, uh, around gun violence and, and the culture of violence and in the way of yeah. So, so
2: this. Uh, yeah. It's called Staying at the Table for Loaded Conversations. I did it in partnership with Mennonite Central Committee. Um, but we also make these little talking pieces that are made from a gun barrel um, that can be used in dialogue. So you, you share it around the circle, the talking piece, you get to share how it's been affected. It can be a dialogue circle just to get people talking about this issue. But the resource is, is made from an Anabaptist perspective and there's a large hunting culture within anabaptist communities and i think it's important that um, one of the myths we also talk about is that gun owners are not uh, the problem and that there's a larger larger segment that a lot of gun owners want sensible change and so we have to stop vilifying each other and just dialoguing about these hard conversations but be open to be vulnerable
0: that's so true mike is, is more information about that resource and those things are those on raw tools website
2: yeah and you can just google loaded conversation um raw tools and it'll it'll also pop up it's a free download
0: beautiful beautiful uh once again an abundance of resources a wealth of just rich experience and insight into this conversation i personally i just really appreciate the approach both of you take to this conversation uh it feels like it really invites that necessary creative work in our way forward and i hope that uh that continues to catch on in broad scopes, whether it's in congregations or in Congress, because I'm pretty sure that is exactly what we continue to need in our world. Whether or not it's in the headline or not, we need this creative work. So on behalf of Center for Progressive Renewal, Convergence, Mike, Shane, thank you so much. Everyone who's been joining us, thank you for being a part of this conversation. More to come. This conversation, like I said, it's going to be recorded. We'll have it on the interwebs in a week or so. So if you missed it or you want to watch it again, you'll get your chance. Uh, but thank you, guys. Thank you. We'll be in touch, and I will talk to you all again soon. Take it easy. Awesome. Thanks, Jim.